Welcome to the Davy Tree Expert Companies podcast, Talking Trees. I'm your host, Doug Oster. Each week, our expert arborists share advice on seasonal tree care, how to make your trees thrive, arborists' favorite trees, and much, much more. Tune in every Thursday to learn more, because here at the Talking Trees podcast, we know trees are the answer. I'm joined this week by Jason Parker. He's the district manager at the North Philadelphia office of the Davy Tree Expert Company. We're talking all about bugs today, Jason. What do you want to start with, good bugs or bad bugs? Start with the bad bugs. I think that's that's the easy one. Uh, yeah, I know. Uh, I saw my first, I'm in Pittsburgh, you're in Philadelphia. I saw my first spotted lanternfly last year on the outside of a chicken coop. And of course, I, I killed it right away. H- has that gotten to you guys in Philadelphia yet? Oh, yeah. My office is located probably three hours from where it was first discovered. And um, we're just inundated with them. Um, probably the, the number one invasive on most people's list on the, uh, on the East Coast right now. All right. Well, tell me all about it. What is it after? I've heard tree of heaven, which is no, you know, we don't care about, but I've also heard fruit trees and grapevines and tell me. Yeah, this is a tough one. Um, Like a lot of uh, invasive insects, it came from uh, Asia, uh, made its way over here and some shipping material, uh, which is a real common way we get these invasives here. Um, and has really started to uh, wreak havoc uh, because there aren't a whole lot of natural predators here, whereas over in Asia, they do have some natural predators that kind of keep them in check. The tough part about spotted lanternflies, it's got over 70 host species. Um, You you hit one um, that's their favorite for sure, um, the tree of heaven. And you're right, not particularly a tree that we care a lot about. Um, it's more of a weed tree, kind of grows wherever. Um, you see them a lot in, in abandoned lots in cities and stuff like that. What we do care about a lot are things like the maples, um, which is another one of their favorites. And um, of course, all the, the damage they're doing to the tree itself, but also the secondary problems that come in. Um, the lanternfly creates a honeydew, which then brings in other insects. It creates things like sooty mold. Um, Plus, they're, they're just really annoying. They're, they're big. They fly right at you. Um, definitely a, a major nuisance pest. Um, and then when you get into the ag side of things, that, that is where it really kind of gets a little bit scary. Um, because, yeah, grapes, um, anything viney, they really love those. Um, hops is another one. Of course, so two big industries that could be pretty majorly impacted. Um, and so what we really need to try to do is minimize the spread because a lot of those um, a lot of those harvested plants you can't use traditional pesticides on if you're planning on then harvesting them. Um, so our, our control options are certainly limited there. So anything we can do to to limit the spread, uh, slow it down, um, all, all going to be great things. And and PA has actually been pretty proactive with trying to trying to limit the spread. What is the damage they do to plants besides the honeydew and that sort of thing? What is the actual damage they do? Yeah, so it's mostly that they're um, sucking out sap. And, of course, when you do that to a tree, that, that's what the tree uses to you know, make food for itself, keep itself energized, do all of the processes that it would do in its normal life. 
So you're taking that away. You're, you're um, taking a lot of, of the energy away from the tree that it should be using for other things. Um, when that happens, trees get into decline and then a lot of secondary pests that might not be killers on their own um, can then come in and do damage. And some of the fruit trees we've seen um, that a couple of seasons of lanternfly damage has actually started to cause some pretty serious um, damage to some of the bark and the smaller twig tissues uh, where it's actually cracking and breaking apart. Um, so some of the additional damage beyond the, the honeydew and the sooty mold and things like that is we've seen after multiple years of infestation that the smaller twigs uh, will actually have some damage. We see cracking of the bark um, and some actual structural damage there. So again, you know, not a huge issue right now for the, the primary pest. The secondary pests are are. are concern right now, but after multiple years of infection, uh, infestation rather than you, you may have some bigger issues that come up. And it's my understanding that there'd be like hundreds of them on a, on a tree, right? Just all together. And then if you disrupt them, they fly out, but then fly right back. Do I have that right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, hundreds, uh, thousands. Uh, I mean, we've seen some pretty bad infestations right in and around my office and uh, Montgomery County. And uh, yeah, it, it's it's pretty crazy. The bark actually will look like it's moving because there are so many um, insects on the, on the lower portion of the trunk. So talk a little bit about the controls. Yep. So the best uh, way to control um, lanternfly is with a systemic treatment. It's very simple. It's bark applied. The tree takes it up. It dries in about an hour. Um, no uh, real concerns about other insects got to be eating the tree in order for it to actually um, be impacted. Uh, no concerns about birds or anything like that. So it's a really, it's a really good process. Um, you do it once just before adult emergence, and that will protect you for the entire season. Mm. Um, product's a little bit expensive, but it does a great job. And like I said, it really limits any other potential uh, off-target issues. So over the years, I'm sure you've seen this before some type of invasive you know explode but then in general does mother nature usually figure it out or are we figuring it out or both i i think it's both um yeah we've definitely seen uh, a lot of it um emerald ash borer is a good example that uh, a lot of people are probably familiar with and that started out kind of in the great lakes area made its way to the east coast um, and now it's sort of dying back because so many ash trees were lost uh, and the ash trees that are still around, people have been protecting them. Um, so there's that, you know, if a food source goes away, that's one thing. But the big difference between lanternfly and emerald ash borer is emerald ash borer just went after ash. Uh, spotted lanternfly is going after 70 host species. Um Obviously, we don't want to lose all of those host species uh, just to control the insect. So I think we have to do something about it, um, before it before it really starts to become a major problem. And people should learn what a spotted lanternfly looks like. If you do ever see one on its own, kill it. <laughs> you know, that's what I've only seen one, thank goodness. But I know that's not the end of it. And if I ever see one, I'm smashing it. So... Absolutely. You got lots of stories about uh, handing your kids a tennis racket to, uh, you know, help control them. Whatever we can do, one less is one that's not going to lay eggs. So 
All good. Well, let's get on to some good bugs and some some a better topic. <laughs> well, uh, let's talk a little bit first about trees and pollinators. Okay. Um, I think that's a subject that's uh, gotten a, a lot more attention here recently. I think most people uh, realize the benefits that pollinators uh, do for us, not, not only in our gardens, but, you know, agriculturally, it definitely uh, impacts business. Um, and then I think we're getting a better understanding of why we need to be responsible with everything that we're doing to help protect those pollinators. Because uh, once they're gone, they're gone. Um, so, I think um, pesticide manufacturers have done a really good job of taking that seriously. Um, they're creating formulations that are bee friendly um, and they're, they're changing their labels to put uh, precautions out there for applicators as well as homeowners saying, hey, this is a potential uh, problem for bees, you know, only apply it in these certain um, scenarios. Typically, that's going to be avoiding um, treating something when it's flowering um, and could be attracting bees in. So um, we've, we've come a long way. Uh, I think we've still got plenty of work to do. Um, but the more knowledge we can put about, out there about the importance of pollinators, which, which does extend beyond bees, but I'd say they're, they're our primary one, it is all going to be good. So if I'm thinking about putting some trees in, you know, right tree, right place, is there anything in particular that's that's especially helpful for a pollinator or any tree that I put in is, is going to be a positive? Um, well, I would always say any tree you put in is going to be a positive. Um, however, specifically for pollinators, um, anything that's a flowering tree is going to be something that is going to attract them. Um, you know, so your, your crab apples and dogwoods and things like that. Um, definitely going to be a primary one. Now, all trees do produce some level of flower. A lot of them are not very showy. They may not really attract pollinators much, but it doesn't mean the pollinators won't go to them. Um, linden is a great example of one that people don't think of as particularly flowering, but pollinators love it. Um, and that's flowering about this time of year. Tough part uh, with trees like a linden is they do have other bad bugs that get on them, um, such as Japanese beetles. So you got to kind of balance, you know, what you want to do for pollinators and, you know, what other pests you could potentially be bringing to the property. You know, talk a little bit about a linden because it's funny. Uh, you know, I have a friend that gardens uh, here professionally at the our local amusement park, and they have a stand of lindens that she says that when they bloom, they, they are so fragrant. It's too much for her. <laughs> uh, yeah. but you know, what, one or two lindens when they bloom, talk a little bit about the fragrance and, and, and how do you rate that tree as a, a, a tree for a homeowner? Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right about the fragrance. Um, especially if you have, uh, multiples of a couple of, uh, local HOAs that are lined with lindens and you drive down that street this time of year and it is almost overwhelming. Um, no doubt. Quite, quite fragrant tree. I think having one probably, uh, you know, in the corner of their property is, is more uh, what most people would like. Uh, it's a good tree. It has a beautiful shape to it. Um, it's uh, one that has a very natural tree-like shape, a uh, little bit more on the pyramidal side um, rather than a rounded canopy. Um, other than the Japanese beetle problem, uh, and maybe aphids doesn't have a whole lot of insect problems, really doesn't get any diseases. Um, 
it is a pretty hardy tree, a good root system. Uh, the only thing is you definitely want to start pruning it early on to make sure that uh, you don't run into structural problems. Because of that um, sort of very uniform canopy, the branching structure is a little bit tight. Um, and so you got to get rid of those branches that could be problematic uh, in the future for you. Is it something that's getting put into landscapes very often nowadays or is it uh, less it's, used in the, in the landscape? It's not super popular, um, but uh, with the lanternfly now, um, everybody's revisiting their kind of go-to trees because uh, I'll be honest, red maples were one of my favorites. And uh, now I'm thinking twice about putting them in because I know that it's going to be a constant uh, ongoing care item. Let's talk a little bit more about good bugs and how they can help take care of the bad bugs. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that we do when we're talking about um, integrated pest management and proper care for your trees and shrubs is really try and make sure that we're using the least uh, toxic products possible, ones that are only going to target the specific insect that we're going after whenever possible, we don't want to come in and spray everything because there are so many good bugs out there. There's all kinds of different spiders. I think most people are familiar with ladybugs being a real positive. Um, those kind of insects will control small amounts of uh, bad bugs when they come onto the property. So if you can keep your trees and shrubs healthy and you really are trying to reduce the amount of pesticide use on your property, keep those good bugs um, working for you. Um, because they're going to control the population uh, unless it's something that becomes overwhelming, like a lanternfly or something very specific, like an emerald ash borer. A healthy tree and good bugs on the property will go a long way to maintaining themselves. Well, let's revisit healthy trees and how to keep them healthy. And I'm just basically talking water and fertilization Two of the things that I think are, and I talk a lot about it on this podcast, two of the things that are often completely forgotten about by homeowners. Absolutely. Uh, I'm going to go back just a little further to one thing you said, um, right tree, right place. Um, so if we can <laughs> do that uh, first, that's great. Um, but what we find is, uh, especially now with the, the housing market being um, so active, um, there's a lot of new homeowners out there. And they're moving into properties where they don't have any control over what was planted. And so now we got to figure out how to maintain them. Uh, fertilization, absolutely the most important thing you could possibly do on any property. Uh, I mean, most of us take some sort of vitamin or supplement or something like that. It's what we're doing for the trees. The soil in most areas um, has been stripped off. It may be missing nutrients, it may have deficiencies for other reasons. Um, it's not going to provide everything that some of these trees need. And if we can make sure the trees got the right nutrients, uh, it's going to help with healthy growth. Um, we don't want excessive growth. We want healthy growth. We want to focus on, you know, the fibrous root systems so it can take up water. It'll deal with drought stress. All of that is just keeping a tree healthy and fertilization is the best way you can possibly do that. Water, uh, then again, is it another very important piece of that. And um, certainly we all think about watering um, trees when we first put them in. You put in new trees, new shrubs, you know, you're out there watering, you've made that investment. Uh, what unfortunately happens is a lot of us stop. Um, we get busy. Uh, we think it's been in for a year. Don't have to think about it anymore. 
And while Mother Nature does a great job for us, um, she doesn't always provide everything that, that we need in terms of uh, water for the trees and shrubs. So when we get hot and dry, you know, don't forget that your trees need water just as much as anything else. So take the hose out there, put it on a light trickle, let it really soak in, promote that deep watering. Um, again, will go a long way. You know, if, if it is a landscape that you've put in, you've made that investment, protect it. You know, water, in the grand scheme of things, is is a pretty inexpensive way to protect the investment you've made in your property. You know, when I do it, I I run the hose, like you said, on a trickle. I put the timer on the microwave if I'm inside working on the computer. And then after, depending on the size of the tree, you know, 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, maybe an hour, two hours, you never know, depending on how big the tree is. I'm out and I'm moving that hose. Uh, it, also the same uh, principle for my tomato plants, but that's another that's another story. Yep. No, that's a great way of doing it. Um, the, uh, the other thing that I always tell people to do is um, while drip irrigation doesn't solve any everything, it can certainly solve a lot of problems where you might have, you know, a row of shrubs or something like that. You can kind of weave the drip irrigation in between. Um, they also make some really simple timers um, for uh, actually your irrigation system. So if you don't want to go and install an irrigation system, but you don't want to forget about it, you can set a timer to go off you know, once a day for an hour or whatever it is that you need. Um, really try and make it simple on yourself. Spend a couple bucks up front, um, but then you know, again, you're protecting that investment you've made. So Jason, how did you get into this job? Uh, well, my dad actually worked for Davy Tree uh, up in Toronto area, and um, he moved actually down to Kent um, for the job. So I kind of grew up around trees and around the Davy company. I actually started working in our East Cleveland operation at the time, because um, quite frankly, they were paying better than anybody else for summer work. And, uh, you know, I wanted to maximize my summer earnings. Um Moved out to the Philadelphia area um, as I came down here for school and uh, was actually doing some construction, ended up, um, the construction company ended up closing. So uh, I actually reached out to someone I had worked with in East Cleveland uh, for a reference and he was part of the recruiting department. And he said, uh, hey, you know, uh, why don't you go uh, to the, the North Philadelphia office based in Horsham, which is right around the corner from where I was living. And uh, the rest is sort of history. I came through, started as kind of a landscaper for them, and I've held every position um, from there all the way up to district manager, which is what I'm doing now. And tell me a little bit about what you get out of your job as district manager. Um, well, uh, obviously, as, as manager, there's a lot of managing that goes on. Um, but I'll tell you, the best part of my job is when I'm not managing. It's when I'm out <laughs> um, in the field doing sales. Um, and it's part of the reason that I was attracted um, to Davy and, and the job in general. Uh, I love being outside. I love being on beautiful properties. I love seeing people's trees. And as I get older and I've had kids, um, you know, understanding the importance of the preservation of the trees and our green spaces in our communities has really become uh, that much more important to me. So I get to do something that I love every single day um, and I get to do it on beautiful properties with people that um, most of the time have a like mindset of mine uh, of wanting to be able to preserve their trees and their landscapes. Well, Jason, I'm going to leave it right there. That is perfect. Thanks so much for information on good bugs and bad bugs and keeping our trees healthy. 
very much appreciate your time and the information. Thank you. Great. Thanks, Doug. I appreciate it too. Tune in every Thursday to the Talking Trees podcast from the Davy Tree Expert Company. I'm your host, Doug Oster. Next week, we're focusing on the temperatures of summer, how to keep your trees protected from extreme heat. I'd love it if you would subscribe to the podcast. We're always covering important topics, but in fun ways. And as always, we'd like to remind you on the Talking Trees podcast, trees are the answer. <laughs>